That's a hockey, you know, it's only, it's only game. Young men expressing themselves for joy. Why do you have to be mad? These guys are jerks. It's only game. It's a cheap, dirty game. It's only game. Why do you have to be mad? Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Cupful Statifact podcast. I'm your host, Mark Callanan. Well, game week 7 has come and gone and thank heavens for that. What a difficult schedule that was. Some very quiet off nights, difficult streaming decisions had to be made. Uh, Congratulations to anyone who made it out of that week with a smile on their face. I know I didn't. On this week's show, we'll be chatting to one of the season's top cupful performers and hearing what he had to say about his approach to fantasy hockey, his love for the sport of hockey and his cupful tips and tricks. After that, we'll take a look at all the usual segments, including the remaining unbeaten teams, the latest top five overall, the team and matchup of the week, and some of the players that you should have owned last week. In this week's deep dive, I'll be looking at the overall scoring trends around the NHL for the past few seasons, and analysing how this has impacted on fantasy hockey. But before all that, let's go straight to this week's interview. I spoke on Sunday with David Prestige, manager of PTSD. So far this season, David has been in spectacular form, regularly appearing on the top five teams and currently sitting pretty atop the Jokerit division with a record of 5-2-0. David was kind enough to give up his Sunday morning to chat to me about fantasy hockey and here's what he had to say. Okay, this week's guest on the Cupful Stat Attack podcast is David Prestige. David is the manager manager of PTSD in Jokerit. David, you're very welcome to the show and thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. David, can you just introduce yourself, um, where you're from, your NHL team, your favorite player, that kind of thing? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, as you said, my name is David Prestige. I'm from uh, Vancouver, BC. Um, So, obviously, my favorite team is the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Favorite player right now is Bo Horvat. Um, He's been, uh, it was awesome to see him get named captain, and he's been great so far this year. So, uh, it's finally, uh, finally exciting times for the Canucks after very many years of just unwatchable hockey so (laughs) (laughs) yeah i really loved what they did with horvat this year making him captain and making a big deal about it and and making a bit of a social media content around it yeah it was the worst kept secret in the city um surely elias Pettersson must be the next captain give him a couple of years and he'll he'll take over (laughs) yeah or it could be one of those uh landis cog mckinnon um situations where the guy gets named early and then the other guy ends up being the superstar yeah, it's exciting times to be a Vancouver fan. Um, so you have Pedersen, Quinn Hughes looks extremely good. Um, I was actually watching the Canucks last night. Uh, really entertaining team to watch. Yeah, they're they're awesome. Uh, Quinn Hughes is like a personal favorite of mine. I did some hockey analytics scouting a couple years ago for his draft class, and I had him so high. So I was so happy to see him drop to the Canucks. Yeah, I think it's between himself and Kale McCarr for the Calder this year. Yeah, I think McCarr's uh, running away with it a little bit, but we'll see. Yeah, it's it's only early in the season. Um, so you named your, I think it's fair to say, you named your team after uh, Elias Pettersson? Yeah, yeah, it's actually a funny backstory on that one. Um, it, there was a Reddit post uh, on the Canucks subreddit, which is the top uh, subreddit for memes, <laughs> Okay, if you're if you're looking for it last year and uh it was just an example of every time pd seemed to do something fantastic uh the other player would get you know sent down traded lose his mind in some way so it just kind of spawned from that okay and you did you name your team after you drafted him in your cupful team or did you name your team beforehand and, and go high for him uh so that was kind of a happy accident i was planning that name all along and then um 
Pedersen was sitting there in the fifth round, and I just had to take him. And he's uh, he's repaid you so far. Oh yeah, he's been awesome. So that's been great to see. Are you more of a hockey fan or a fantasy hockey fan, or which came first for you? Uh, definitely hockey came first. I've been watching since I was you know young enough to understand what was happening. Um, but fantasy hockey is it came pretty early uh, early on as well. So okay, and have you ever found yourself rooting against Vancouver for the sake of your fantasy hockey team? uh no no i try not to do that um there's the occasional time where i have the other team's starting goalie uh and i you know i'm hoping for a low scoring loss uh for my goalie but (laughs) but most of the time it's uh yeah it's vancouver first and how long have you been playing fantasy hockey um so it must be 10 12 years by now i forgot to mention early on i'm 25 years old so it's been since I was probably 11 or 12, I would okay. say. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you've been there pretty much since the start of the internet fantasy hockey. Yeah. Yeah. And it's evolved a little bit. Early on, it was kind of those box pools, um, yeah. just select one player per out of five. And then it's evolved from there. And now it's a little bit more extensive. Yeah. It was pretty primitive there for a few years, about, uh, about the time you started, I'd say 10 or 12 years ago, but it has evolved. And some of the tools out there are really, really good. And some of the support tools like uh, Dauber and Le- Left Wing Lock and all those, they really evolved. Yeah. That's, that's really, uh, really helped it become um, much easier to do research. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, how many leagues are you in at the moment? I'm only in two uh, this year. The last couple of years I've spread myself a little bit thin playing in a bunch of leagues um so i'm in the cup fall obviously and then i have another league that i'm the commissioner of um that's more of a keeper league with all my friends okay is that a deep league uh yeah so there's 16 teams and 16 players per team so it gets pretty deep is there much money involved in that yeah buy-in is uh buy-in's 50 bucks so uh okay. and it's elevating every year and we actually have a miniature stanley cup uh trophy <laughs> wow. that goes to the winner that's sitting in front of me right now so Oh, you have you've won that last year. Yeah, yeah, I won it the last two years in a row, which I'm 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 paying for this year because I traded a lot of draft picks to uh to acquire good players the last couple of years. So, no, oh, that doesn't matter. You've got the money from the last two years. You don't care. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're you're playing with the house money now at this stage. <laughs> exactly. Which type of league do you prefer? Do you prefer uh, a keeper league or a cupful type format, or have you got any preference? Yeah, I mean, I like keeper leagues because I feel like it encourages trading, which is my favorite part of fantasy hockey. Just like the last couple of days, there's been a bunch of trades in my other league and it's all they all involve draft picks. because I think it's just a lot easier to it just creates a trade market when you have draft picks involved. Yeah. Um, but I do like the I, I do like the uh, type of league that Cupful is a one year league, um, especially if you're doing well. I mean, it's 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 nice to. It's nice to be able to, and and even if you're not doing well, like it's nice to be able to reset the following year and everyone's on an equal playing field coming into the draft. Exactly. You don't play any other types of uh, fantasy hockey? Do you play any daily hockey or anything like that? Or uh, I've dabbled in uh, DFS um, and I do have a, I have developed a, a, a model for betting on hockey um, that's doing pretty well this year. So that's, I, I do that as well. So it's well, pretty involved. Okay. I might chat to you about that um, after the show because that's something that I'm very uh, interested and involved in. I actually work in the gambling industry, so it's, uh, it's oh, something wow. we might uh, we might share common ground on. In so you mentioned there, your keeper league has a lot of trades. Um, you're in Yokerit at the moment. There hasn't actually, as far as I can see, been a trade in that division. Um, you have added a few players to your trading block. Have you had any approaches, or have you made any approaches, or are things just pretty quiet there? Uh, things have been pretty quiet. I was offered a couple trades early on in the year. Um, one for uh, for Pedersen before uh, before he kind of got going. 
uh, didn't take that trade, and I'm feeling pretty happy about that. But yeah, it's been pretty quiet. Looking for Pedersen from a guy whose team is, na- team is named after him is probably not a great idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're sitting, I think it's fair to say you've probably won your matchup this week um, in game week seven. So you're sitting on top. Now, having a look at the standings here, after week six, there are seven teams tied at the top um, on 4-2-0. and oh. I think it's quite fair to say with your points total, you've been a little bit unlucky. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like the two losses I had, uh, I was looking at my team and looking at, you know, who else I could have played that week and beaten and sitting there a little frustrated. But, uh, you know, hopefully it comes around at the end. But it is pretty crazy to see, like, there's four and two is the best record in our division. And there's, yeah, as you said, seven or eight of us that all have that same record. So it's been pretty crazy. Yeah, even I think after this week, looking at the projections for Sunday night, it looks like there'll probably still be at least five teams tied at the top. So um, that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on over the rest of the season. Yeah, it's a tight battle. Yeah, exactly. You have a nice cushion on points, so you've built up quite a lot of points. Um, I think you're on 1,673, which is about 75 higher than the next uh, the next team. You've made only 15 moves, which is probably somewhere below average. Is that just that you felt you didn't need to improve your team, or are you not really a big streamer, or how do you feel about that? Yeah, I find my streaming strategy kind of changes depending where I am in the standings. I've been doing pretty well, so I haven't really felt the need to... Uh, change things up too much usually if i'm you know struggling then that's when i become a heavy streamer but typically i'm looking for maybe one or two guys each week to just fill out those games played yeah i think you're averaging just over two two guys a week so you've also only spent seven dollars of your budget so that might suit you or that might uh, work to your advantage later on in the season when the playoffs start approaching yeah i uh, i noticed last year playing in the kick up full that like was able to make a lot of my moves for zero dollars so i've just kind of employed that strategy this year except when i'm making a move on like a sunday night or monday when i know people are looking for streaming options so do you put much prep into your draft is my next question um what's your draft strategy do you do many mock drafts that kind of thing yeah so the draft is where i put all my time into (laughs) it's it's pretty much an entire summer process of listening to as many podcasts as I can, doing as much research as I can, project, doing my own projections, but also looking at um, one that I use is uh, Dom. Uh, I don't want, even want to attempt his last name. The athletic. <laughs> Dom L. <laughs> yeah, Dom L. Yeah, so his his projections I use, but I, I like his spreadsheet and I've bought it the last couple of years, but I've definitely like modified it and yeah. put my own twist on it. Um, but that's, that's typically... I'll do all my research up to the point where he releases that, and then I'll get that, see what my research says against that, and kind of go with the common ground there. Yeah, so it's fair to say then you're a big believer in value over replacement, is that right? Yeah, huge believer in that, and huge believer in drafting wingers over, over centers and defensemen as well, so definitely there's a lot more value there. Yeah, so I'm having a look at your your draft results here. Um, you picked 11th in the first round, and you got Dreisaitl. Um, you can't have any regrets there. No, that was... Uh, that was really nice to see him drop there. I think I had him like five or six, so getting him at 11, I was pretty happy with. Yeah, he's one of the, the first players to, to drop with uh, dual eligibility, so center and left wing, which is a huge benefit uh, when it comes to your managing your schedule week in, week out. Yeah, yeah, that that's a big thing I look for, so that was good to see. Um, not to be too negative, but have you any regrets on drafting Vasilevsky in I knew, 18th? <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. Yeah, I do. Um Definitely one thing that I know and I try and follow as much as possible is like drafting the top goalies at goaltending is voodoo, as they say. So it's such a hard position to uh, 
to uh, figure out what's going to happen there. So yeah, I have some major regrets drafting Vasilevsky that early. Yeah, but I mean, you made up for it in the, in the next few rounds. John Carlson at 39 is, is a great pick. Um, he's on pace so far for a 100-point season, so no regrets there. None at all, no. And I, uh, yeah, I definitely felt pretty good that I got the top goalie and then who I had as the top defenseman, um, plus dry saddle in the first three rounds. So it looked pretty good, and it's still looking pretty good, although I definitely could have done better on that second-round pick. Okay, so you had valued Carlson over, say, Burns or, or Eric Carlson? Yeah, just the way things were looking. I uh, just knew the Washington's power play was going to be really good, and he looked primed to put up a bunch of points, so I was pretty happy to get him there. For other Ds, then, you kind of left uh, in the draft. You left them until later rounds, so you went round 10, Jeff Petrie, uh, and then 14 and 15 uh, with Slavin and Matheson. Um, was that a conscious decision? Yeah, I think, um, so funny story about my draft was that, uh, you know, I did all the prep work and then found out the time and I happened to be, um, I'm a, I'm a hockey coach as well. So I happened to be with my team at a, a, a junior hockey game when the draft was taking place. So I kind oh, no. of, uh, <laughs> I put my, put my list together early and it just like, when I got to each round, I was looking for defensemen. I just wasn't liking what I was seeing. And especially when you're trying to draft for value, it was, I didn't want to take a guy too early. So, yeah. Um, one final question on your draft and your draft strategy. Do you consider off-day schedules when you're drafting, or is that something that you kind of leave to chance? Uh, yeah, I typically do. Um, I don't put you know a ton of weight on it, um, but it's definitely something that I pay attention to, and definitely looking at who's going to be playing more in the playoffs is important to me. Yeah. Um, I can't remember exactly who those are this coming year, but I definitely know I took that into account a little bit um, when I was doing some drafting. Yeah, so picking players from the teams who have strong schedules in the in the last few weeks of the season. Yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sure I can't remember. It's either Carolina or Calgary, I think, that have like three straight weeks of four games a week. Maybe it's Florida. I can't remember which team it is, but there's a there's a team that you're you're getting twelve games out of your guys in the playoffs, which is pretty huge. Yeah. That's nearly something that you need to print out on your printer and, and post it on your wall just to keep it in the back of your head the whole way through the season. Yeah, that's for sure. Your current roster, then, you haven't made too many changes. Um, as I said, you haven't made too many moves. Picked up Nate Schmidt. You've dropped a couple of guys. You picked up Chara for the week ahead because Boston have a have a good schedule. Um, are you you're happy enough with where you are at the moment? Yeah, yeah, I'm happy with my roster. Um, yeah, you mentioned Chara and Fax that I picked up for the next week just because Boston and Dallas have good schedules. But that that's typically the the most moves I'll make is like one or two like that, or um, picking up a guy that seems either either is coming back from injury like Nate Schmidt or just gets the call up and gets prime deployment like uh, Heedel, who's on my roster right now. Yeah, he's on fire lately. Um, mm. You you haven't had anybody um, put on IR for too long this season, is that fair? Yeah, I've been really lucky with injuries. I don't think I've had a single one yet, so... <laughs> Well, I think I've filled up my IR on all three of my leagues this season um, in the last week. I've got four, three, and three in my three leagues. It's crazy. Zabanajad keeps going uh, from day to day to out to day to day to out. It's on oh, my phone. Notifications are just so frustrating at this stage. Um, so yeah. it's defi- definitely a good stroke of luck that you haven't had anybody on the IR. Yeah, I've been really lucky. Actually, in my other league, I'm really trying to push to trade for Zabanajad right now because I know the owner is really uh, frustrated with the... <laughs> bouncing back and forth on the IR. Yeah, definitely. It's it's just the uncertainty around what his injury might be. And I know I spoke about Zibanejad last week. I don't want to keep going on about him, but uh, he started the season so well and it was so tough to lose him um, when he was in such great form. Yeah, and just great deployment playing with Panarin too and on that top power play. So 
Um, you have picked up so since you started the season, you, you've kept Vasilevsky, but you you dropped Corey Schneider. Obviously, there was no point in keeping him. Um, you've got Thomas Grice in, who isn't a bad replacement, I have to say. Yeah, I was really surprised to see him on waivers. Um, I, I'm guessing he got dropped because he's just not getting that many games. But the yep. games he is playing, he's doing super well in and can't really ask for more than that so he's actually produced more points than Vasilevsky so far so <laughs> yeah I think it's it's definitely a 50-50 split with the Islanders at the moment he's played every second game for the last month maybe yeah it's a bit of a strange I mean you can't fault them they're winning but it's a bit of a strange or maybe just something we're not really used to seeing goalies just going one in one out one in one out like that even if they're even if they have a good start yeah well it's, it's good for the islanders like you said it's uh it's working well for them and they they're doing extremely well this season yeah it's uh you know islanders fans will uh they're uh pretty vocal online about how good their team is so yeah hoping for them it keeps up so <laughs> we'll see how it goes <laughs> yeah the next question then is something i've asked uh ryan and tom in the last couple of weeks do you have a favorite uh fantasy hockey player it can be a cult hero it doesn't have to be somebody who you know um got you the highest points total in three seasons in a row just anybody who you think um maybe sticks out in your memory as being somebody valuable to you yeah so i have two actually um barkov and panarin both uh in the last two years in, in my other league where i won were guys that i traded for right at the trade deadline and then they went and put up like 30 points in the last 20 games or something and led me to victory so uh they're both just personal favorites of mine yeah that's the second time that barkov has come up as the answer to that question so i might start ranking that and he's definitely in the lead so far yeah he uh yeah he just i i find that he just has great ends to seasons so he's never a bad trade deadline uh, acquisition that's for sure um have you any advice that you would give to a new competitor in fantasy hockey or specifically the cupful so if anybody's in in their first season in the cupful and maybe struggling would you give them any tips or hints yeah definitely one thing that uh that I think people do sometimes is just dropping players too early. Um, definitely, like, sometimes you'll see, you know, the media or whoever talking about how this player's struggling and how they're not doing very well, but I just would preach patience sometimes because there are definitely players that, if, you know, they have a tough, they have a player that has a tough first two weeks and then they drop him and then he ends up having a season as or better than expected in the end anyway. So, um, patience with your guys and definitely taking a longer term view of it like a, a thing I like to do is kind of check out what their per 82 stats would be um, just to see if you're overreacting because sometimes seeing them have two two weeks of you know one or two points and that's it um, yeah. can make you think that you know this player is just not doesn't have it this year so it's definitely uh, good to take a longer view yeah one person that springs to mind um based on your answer there actually i've seen a few questions on the facebook the keeping carlson groups and maybe one or two on twitter as well and um, people asking about Braden point should he be dropped or you know um, is he going to heat up and i think people need to consider as well that they've had a really slow start to the season schedule wise there are a few games behind everybody else so you can't expect them to be up in the scoring around the same as, as say a similar player because he hasn't played the same number of games so that's always something to keep in consideration as well yeah, Braden Point's a, a good example, actually. I mean, he's still getting top-line uh, deployment, and they had a break to go overseas and play yeah. a couple games and then come back, so that can't be easy to uh, to continue production through. So I would definitely preach patience for him. Yeah, there was that couple of weeks where Tampa and Buffalo both had uh, two, two weeks in a row with two games um, based on the fact that they were coming over to Sweden, I think it was. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, and the final question then, David, is just if you have any players who you feel have been under the radar this season, not necessarily uh, players who are in your lineup at the moment, but just maybe somebody you've noticed who you think uh, is maybe undervalued at this stage of the season. Yeah, um, I mean, I'll pick, uh, just because I have familiarity with my lineup the most, I'll pick a couple guys from my lineup that have been uh, really good so far um, that I, not too many people are talking about, I don't think. Um, definitely Evgeny Dadanov has 20 points and 10 of them goals, which has been really helpful, especially in kickoff full scoring formats. Um, and Bergeron, I mean, he mm. is always a fantastic fantasy producer, but doesn't get talked about very much. He's just a beast with shots. Uh, and then he's got 24 points as well. So uh, those are a couple guys where I think that people are not talking too much about, but they've been really, really productive. So that's been helpful. Yeah, the top line in Boston is always uh, one where you want to own everybody. Um, yeah. Pasternak and Marchand as well, just out of this world. Yeah, they've been great this year. That's best line in hockey by a mile. Yeah. Okay, David, uh, thanks very much for your time and thanks for uh, getting up early on a Sunday morning to chat to me. No problem. Thank you very much for having me and uh, good luck to everybody that's listening uh, for their week next week. Yeah, and best of luck to you for the rest of the season. Thanks again. Thank you. Yeah, thanks again to David Prestige for coming on and giving up his time at half nine on a Sunday morning to chat to me about fantasy hockey. He was a really interesting guy and I spoke to him a little bit after the interview as well about his uh, his NHL betting model. David is clearly very interested in the analytics side of hockey. Um, it's great to chat to him and I think if you're up against him in the Okerit division, uh, best of luck with that. Now, it may or may not interest you to know that the average NHL game this season has four shots more than the average NHL game four seasons ago in 2015-2016. It may or may not interest you to know that shooting percentages are up uh, 0.6% in the same time. What may interest you, in fantasy terms, is that there are 0.7 more goals being scored each game in the NHL this season compared to four years ago. So what exactly does that mean to fantasy hockey and fantasy hockey owners? Well, for this week's deep dive, I took a look at the implications of increased scoring on fantasy hockey. Did you know that in the 2015-2016 and 2016-2017 seasons, there were just one player per season averaging 100-point paces? This increased in 2017-2018 to 7 players, increased again last season to 8 players, and so far this season there are 14 players in the NHL on a 100-point pace. If you take the cupful scoring format of 4.5 points per goal, 3 points per assist, 1 point per shorthanded point, and 0.5 points per shot, you will see that this season, for the first time in the past 5 seasons, there are actually 5 players averaging over 7 points per game, even without considering the peripherals like hits and blocks. Last season there were none, season before that, the season before that, and the season before that again, there were zero players averaging more than seven points. There are 13 players averaging more than six fantasy points on just those categories, where last season there were nine, and four seasons ago there were just two players averaging more than six points. If you look further again down the table, you will see that there are 87 players currently averaging more than four fantasy points per game just on those categories, which is an increase on 55 four seasons ago. That's an increase of 60%. Now, Isaac Newton's third law of motion states that for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction, and that rings true here. Naturally, with more goals being scored, that means more goals are being allowed, so goaltenders are being hit hard. Save percentages are down from around 9.11 in the 2014-2015 season to just 9.04 in the 2019-2020 season thus far. Shutouts are becoming rarer and rarer too. 
In the early part of this decade, there was a shutout roughly once every 14 goaltender appearances. That has increased this season to a record high of 23.48 games per shutout. These changes over the past few years have made it more and more difficult to compare seasons like for like. The past three seasons, whilst being relatively steady, are not comparable with the 2016-2017 seasons and before. As I mentioned earlier, a 100 point pace is not as rare as it used to be, and a goaltender with a 904 save percentage is now around average where they would have been below average before. These are things that are worth bearing in mind when you're valuing a player, particularly in a trade or preparing for your draft next season. Now, speaking of high scoring, it's time to look at the top five overall teams sorted by points in the Cupful. And remarkably, the top five last week remains the top five this week with just one change of position. So at number five, it's Joe's team from Sweden. At number four, it's PTSD and David Prestage, who we spoke to earlier. He is down one position from third to fourth. Uh, position three is Puck Business from Ludwig, who are up one position from fourth to third. And then the top two are the same as last week. In second, it's Horvat Here's a Who from Simon. And remaining at number one for the sixth week in a row is Tom Crowhurst and Epic Neal Time of Binghamton, with a perfect 7-0-0 record and a 100-point gap from second place. So well done again to Tom. And I want to also call out Niener Niederreiter as the team of the week for game week seven. Incredibly, despite being ranked the 14th best team overall by points in the Cupful, out of 252 teams, they are 10th in their division standings with a win record of just 0.429%. Um, their expected win record is up over 800%, so they are the, actually the second unluckiest team in the Cupful so far this season. But uh, a really strong week saw them uh, get back to winning ways, and I'm sure you can expect more of the same from that team going forward. Just then to give an update on the remaining unbeaten teams across the Cupful, there are seven teams remaining with a perfect 7-0-0 record. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Tom Crowhurst and Epic Neal Time in Binghamton, uh, T-Pleasures team in Frolunda, Dude Wears McCarr in Sodertalja, The Sundeer Sharks in William, Walk with Elias in Jacob F., Aussie Magic in Melker and The Orca Boys in Linus. At the opposite end of the standings then, there are seven teams also with a record of 0-0-7. Again, I'm not really at a point where I want to start calling out those teams, but um, if, if you don't want your name called out on the Cupful stat attack for negative reasons, maybe it's time you started looking to get yourself in the W column there. The matchup of the week came in San Jose, where McWater into Wine beat the Sudbury Slashers by the bare minimum 0.05 points. It's not actually possible to win a matchup by a smaller margin. We still haven't had a tie this season, but this is the closest we've got. And unbelievably, it was a Connor McDavid hit with 1 minute and 37 seconds left in overtime on Sunday night in the last game of the week that gave McWater into wine, a team clearly named after Connor McDavid, the victory in that matchup. They moved to a record of 4-3-0, good for 6th in their division, and the unfortunate Sudbury Slashers moved to 1-6-0 and 14th position in that uh, division. It's it's a cruel game sometimes and that is a classic example of how it can be so heartbreaking at the very, very last minute of a matchup. Now it's time for the top performers of last week. Uh, at centre we have Connor McDavid who played 4 games, had 4 goals, 3 assists, 14 shots on goal, 6 hits, um, as I mentioned there, 1 crucial hit in San Jose, and 2 blocks. Uh, so he had 36.5 fantasy points. Uh, at right wing, maybe a slightly surprising name to some, uh, Tevo Teravainen, 
Uh, he had two goals, five assists, one shorthanded point, uh, 15 shots on goal, two hits, one block in four games, giving him a total of 33.5 points. At left wing is Brock Nelson, uh, three games played, four goals, one assist, 16 shots, six hits and one block. Uh, the two defencemen are Aaron Ekblad. Uh, with four games played, he had three goals, two assists, ten shots, two hits and six blocks. And then Dougie Hamilton, a man who's been performing so well this season. In four games this week, he had one goal, two assists, 17 shots on goal, four hits and ten blocks. And the goaltender of the week is from St. Louis. It's Jordan Bennington. Uh, he played three games, two wins, only four goals against in those three games, 96 saves and one shutout. And an honourable mention there to Antti Ranta, who pushed him very close with 27.9 fantasy points, just three behind, and did so in only two games as he shares the net with Darcy Kemper in Arizona. Now, to finish out this week's show, I'm going to change things up a little bit. Uh, up until now, I had been pointing out players who were performing well but owned in 50% or fewer of the cupful divisions. This week, I'm going to take a look at the players whose ownerships have changed the most over the past seven days. So, starting with the players who have surged in the last seven days, uh, at centre and left wing of the New York Islanders, we have Anthony Beauvillier, who has grown from just 11% last week to 94% owned yesterday. That's an increase of 83%. Then another player who has increased on the same team by the same percentage is Derek Broussard, who has gone from 17% owned to 100% owned in all cupful divisions as of yesterday. Um, just behind them, we have Brett Connolly of Florida, left and right wing. He's gone from 6% owned, so owned in just one Cupful division, to 83% owned, so owned in all but three of the Cupful divisions. That's 15 out of 18 divisions. Um, some honourable mentions then for Joel Edmondson of Carolina, Martin Nichas also of Carolina, Brandon Tanev of Pittsburgh, Nick Suzuki of Montreal, uh, perhaps owing to their great schedule this week and Blake Coleman of the New Jersey Devils. So all of those players have increased their ownership by at least 50% in the Cupful in the last seven days. At the opposite end of the scale then, there have been four players who have been dropped in half or more of the Cupful divisions in the last seven days. Those players are Noah Hannafin, D-man for the Calgary Flames. Also of Calgary, Mikhail Backlund, centre. Uh, Paul Stastny, also a centre for the Vegas Golden Knights. And Andrew Shaw of Chicago, who has seen his ownership drop from 61% to just 11% in the past week. And that about wraps things up for this week's show. As always, if you have any feedback for me, or if you would like to appear as a guest on the show, feel free to hit me up on Twitter or Facebook in the Cupful group. And all the best for Game Week 8, and for those of you in the United States, uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving dinner. Thanksgiving dinner.